Hello, friends. I'm your host, Christina, and you're listening to Radical Stepmoms, a podcast about the good, bad, and really ugly moments about raising a child that you didn't create. Here, I'll discuss the realities of co-parenting, the way stepmotherhood affects a marriage, the relationship with our stepkids, and most of all, navigating the relationship with ourselves. I want each episode to leave you feeling validated, empowered, and oh so radical. So pour yourself a LaCroix, a glass of red, or whatever, and listen in on Radical Stepmoms. Hello, you are listening to Radical Stepmoms. This is Christina. Joining me on this this episode is Elise Bowie, a family law attorney who has deep understanding of complex family issues, not only because she's an attorney, but because she's also a stepmom. I'm having her on because this is amazing. Welcome, Elise. I am so excited to have you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so (laughs) excited to be here. I feel like we could probably talk all afternoon. Oh, I know. All the things. (laughs) all the things. Yes. I'm, um, it's taken me a while. I'm so excited to just have that family law attorney opinion, but the fact that you're also in it yourself as a stepmom is just an, a huge bonus to the listeners here. So I'm going to have to just jump right in. I want to hear about who you are as a person. What's your professional background? Who are you as a stepmom? Tell me all the things. <laughs> all the things. <laughs> all okay. the things. Lay it out. Well, first, I am a stepmom and mom. I have a combined little brood of six kids. Oh so goodness. I have four biological children and two step. Together, we are a Brady bunch of three girls, three boys. The wow. two oldest girls are um, my husband. And so I'm a stepmom of two oldest girls. And then my oldest is a daughter. And then I have three boys as well. So, um, and yeah, that has been an interesting journey. And then professionally, I mean, I am a family law attorney. I mean, I started out eons ago in New Orleans as an insurance defense attorney, quit, stayed home, took care of my kids for a while. And then when I went back to law, I mean, it's a very long story and I'll bore you all the details. Like I ended up, it was time for me to get a divorce. And I was like, well, how perfect. I'll just learn everything I need to know about divorce law. Why not? I was like, I mean, here I am post hurricane Katrina, you know, had evacuated. So I became a family law attorney and have been doing family law, but my personal expertise, what I spend so much time doing is working as a guardian ad litem in mm-hmm. very high conflict family law cases. And so I get to see that step family dynamic as a professional all mm-hmm. the time, because oh so many times when people are coming in for mostly post dissolution, you know, like a modification of a parenting plan or something, there's some new partner involved and obviously, as you well know, sometimes that, you know, new partner involvement, I mean, can either be simmering and causing more conflict, or it could be really helping and bring peace and unity to the family. Yes. Oh my gosh. This just opened up even more conversation. We're going to have, <laughs> okay. I mean, so how has being a stepmom influenced your career? Um, I mean, when you're like sitting across from like, like, do you have like, do you feel that specific energy in the room when you're like, I know how she's feeling right now? A hundred percent. I mean, and just the, again, it all depends on the dynamics of the families, you know, both mm-hmm. families, like, and what, what does your stepchild's other parent look like in their home? And I'm so lucky because, you know, the mom of my two stepdaughters is the most amazing, wonderful, lovely human She's an amazing mom. She's just like, loves her daughters dearly, does everything. You know, she's wonderful. And so, I mean, in my particular situation, I mean, I am simply a bonus adult, you know, mm-hmm. in their world. The, the one little twist in our situation is I knew my current husband and his daughters and his wife, we were neighbors like 12 years ago. So when they were married, living down the street, I was married to my ex. We knew each other and I was very close to his daughters when they were young. So like, you know, they considered me this like fun neighbor who served them brownie batter and let them paint their (laughs) nails crazy colors. And then, you know, a decade later when Doug and his wife were divorcing and me and my husband were divorcing and then we, you know, came together 
it was this very interesting dynamic because I had this rapport already with right. his daughters from when they were little and our children were close. Mm -hmm. Like my two oldest children were friends with his two daughters oh, when wow. they were little kids. So there so was I'm, that kind of dynamic, yeah. which made it even more weird though. Yeah. yeah. So I imagine that it was like oh. some, somehow the ice was already broken. Sure. But then it was like, whoa. Weird. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was so weird. And it's funny because I mean, Doug, my husband, you know, he and his wife, Pam, like I said, were friends of ours. So Doug, when they net left New Orleans and he would travel back to New Orleans for work, he'd come over and visit, you know, my husband and I and our children. We have pictures of Doug. Every one of my kids has a picture of Doug in their baby book, oh my which gosh. is like it's random. Oh thing. my gosh. But so yeah, the ice was broken, but then there was this weirdness that we had to navigate and the children were in that, you know, more teenage years. So, the, you know, developmentally, we were looking at kind of snarly, you know, teen yeah. when we did come together. And so, you know, we then had to navigate like not pushing that, the fact that they did know each other and that they, you know, did have these rapport. It was good in some ways, but then there was almost expectations that they would get along or sure. they needed know, to kind of process at their at own pace. A hundred percent. And I would say that was something Doug and I did right. Like we just literally were like, I mean, we're out of the, you know, like whatever, mm -hmm. If that means that we're going to go out to dinner together, great. And if two of you aren't coming of the six, great. If, you know, like there was no sure. pressure of yeah, any that's great. because it was an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I would imagine that you'd, yeah, you'd have to um, establish some boundaries and, you know, like, I mean, I hear some, some stories, you know, stepmoms contacting me and they're like, yeah, the ex-wife just thinks it's okay to just like walk into my house. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> yeah. No, no, we've been very deferential. I mean, you know, exceedingly deferential, like for the whole first year, Doug and I were married, his youngest daughter was a senior in high school. So he would go over to his ex's house like that was kind of their deal and he would cook dinner for the daughter a lot you know she was involved in various things and he would just show up and cook dinner and that was totally fine with them like that's how they mm -hmm. wanted it and you know but obviously I never would do that like mm -hmm. I you know that was completely his thing with his daughter and I very much stayed out of that and you know um I mean yeah we've had to I don't know I feel like really navigate the being very deferential to their mom because their mom, like I said, is just a lovely person, a great mom. And I have wanted to not do anything to, you know, upset that apple, apple cart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And really just like when it comes to holidays, I mean, we're just like, whatever you're doing, we will work around, you know, like we never have issues around like, no, wow. that's Christmas. So, and so, so when you are working with these high conflict situations, are, I, I imagine that part of you is like, oh my God, I'm so glad I don't have to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also like that, what do you, in your, in your experience, in your professional experience, and in your you know, personal experience, where do you think, what do you think contributes to that high, that being on the other side of the spectrum where it's high conflict? I mean, in, in my experience, it's often where the step parent doesn't have good boundaries and the step parent is imposing their will on things that they shouldn't be. And sometimes it's the step parent is expecting the bio parent to choose, you know, to make a choice between them or their children or, mm -hmm. you know, and really is not giving the, the space, I think that a step parent, I mean, it's a different role as a step parent. I mean, and you, again, it depends on the developmental age of the children, what that relationship looks like between the two bio parents, you know, but if you are emotionally intelligent enough to navigate and understand where as a step parent, you are causing conflict, like that, sure. mm -hmm. you know, you're gonna, I find, be more successful in backing off and getting rid of that conflict, you know, not coming in and acting as a parent or not demanding that all of a sudden the relationship between that bio parent and the children completely change because sure. all of a sudden a new person is there. Sure. I mean, I have to say 
in reverse, like my current husband became a stepdad to four and very much a stepdad. Like my ex wasn't as involved. My ex is much more hands off as a dad. So, I mean, Doug was very involved with my children, lived with them full time, you know, and is still very involved. But even with that, like he would often say to me, you know, that's not how I would do it, but I totally respect you and your children's relationship and how it's been going all these years and who am I to step in and make it look in any way different. And so having that, I think was really helpful because I think it could have been really negative if he had come in all, you know, well, this is how I think it should be done. And, you know, this is how these three boys need to be raised. Sure. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with circumstances too, because, you know, I, I absolutely, I get asked too, like, do you think stepmoms can be high conflict? Because, you know, oftentimes we're looking at the, the bio mom being like, they're high conflict. Absolutely. Stepmoms can be high high conflict. And like you said, not checking in with themselves about their own boundaries and and just having the insights of why am i wanting this to happen is it because i want it my way or or you know am i wanting to feel secure in my role am i wanting to feel like i'm important or like you know assessing where that's coming from and then going from there i think another thing that you brought up is the dynamic of how involved the bio mom is and how you know active they are because I see that there is a lot of tension when there is a bio mom who is not active and who is not doing a good job and who is not, you know, taking care of a child's basic needs. And then here's the stepmom who's like, what is your problem? Like you need to take care of your kids. And then they're in a space of like trying to not only nurture this probably very new relationship with this person that they're dating and trying to find stability in their own home. And they can't do that unless bio mom does X, Y, and Z. And so from an outside, it could definitely appear like, oh, the stepmom is all up in their business and is trying to navigate all these stuff. But it's also I like from the stepmom perspective of of me personally being a stepmom who has navigated a neglectful bio mom. It's like, yeah, I'm sure people have questioned why I'm sitting at that table. I'm sure people have questioned like why I'm speaking up about this, but you know, it's, it's so complicated. (laughs) I mean, it is so complicated. It is the most, I find complicated thing when you're looking in families. Like when I get called by a potential client in a family law case, and they're calling about a parenting plan modification. I mean, I'm going to be peppering them about questions about their partner. How involved is their partner? What is their partner's relationship with the bio parent? You know, what is that dynamic? Does that partner send emails or are you writing the emails? You know, like there's all Mm -hmm. kinds of tips and tricks on how to keep the conflict as low as possible, you know, Mm -hmm. and not have a step parent take over in such a way that is actually just throwing fire, you know, throwing gas on a fire. And I think that's also a good point to make too, because in, in, on my platform, I talk a lot about, you know, how involved I am and what I do and stuff like that. But it's also, I, I, I give that, I advocate for that kind of, for that kind of involvement as long as it's productive. Like as soon as, you know, I, I like, for example, a lot of the times, you know, bio mom doesn't want the stepmom to show up to school events and it's assessing, okay. One, if you don't show up to events, you, the stepmom is like, I want to, you know, be a part of my stepkids life and watch them play basketball. And I want to participate. Like she's preventing me from, you know, establishing, you know, relationships with, within my family. And so it's like, okay, but is this a scenario in which you show up and eventually she's going to get over it. And this is like the bio mom has some inner work to do to not allow that this to become a thing, or is it, she's never going to do that inner work. She's going to lash out, cause a scene, make, you know, the, the child feel uncomfortable, you know, whatever. And then in that case, it's like, yes, unfortunately, stepmom, maybe you find something else. Right. To, you know, nurture that relationship that you're that to meet that goal. 
but that's such a hard decision because me, me again, personally, it's like, I want that chick to do the inner work. I want her to figure it out because it's not on, it's not my responsibility to make her life easier. You know, like she has to get over the fact that yes, there's another woman who's in her kid's life and she can choose to see that as an asset and not a, not a, you know, a barrier. Right. You know, so it is such a, I think you really hit the nail on the head though, making that decision, because sometimes I think the decision is you're going to do a hybrid. Maybe you're going to show up for a special time that, you know, is really important. And the kids would really be sad if the stepmom wasn't there because they would feel like, well, wait a minute, she cares about what I'm doing as well. But it doesn't have to be every single time, you know, sure. then the bio mom can have some time where she's there and she doesn't have to deal with that discomfort or whatever. And I think really navigating that and it requires i think so much attention to emotional intelligence and really looking at how are the children being impacted because obviously at least to me it's obvious that's the thing that matters right like Mm -hmm. the rest of this is all just bs i mean Mm -hmm. the point is that the children are being maximized and that they are the their best interest is you know, being held in the forefront of everyone's decision making. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, we would have conversations about like, cause I have a, a stepdaughter who was like an international climber. So she'd have all these like climbing events. And I mean, she would go to things. I mean, there were times that I went, there were times I didn't go. There were many times her mom, her dad, and I were all at an event together. I mean, we'd be standing around together, like watching her climb. I mean, we attended one daughter's college graduation all together, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, that's how my parents were. My parents yeah. did great. And they divorced, remarried, divorced. I had like four different stepmoms. I had, you know, like, so it was always just like, well, who's coming to this one? I don't know. It's at every graduation. Cause you know, they're like four years apart, <laughs> like has diff has a different partner. Like, and I, and I love that. I love that my parents have been able to do that. I, that's what I think about when I, you know, look to what I hope for my stepson to experience of being able to see his, his family, you know, all together in one place, because it's, it can get awkward. I mean, even at my wedding, I was like, oh, I'm going to have my stepdad and my dad walk me down the aisle. And that was like a huge, a huge decision I had to make, you know, Um, you know, it's, it's the, the parents that can, that can keep that focus that it's about their child's experience and whatever baggage, resentment, jealousy, insecurity, whatever that they're still carrying, like they got to either figure it out and work through it or do it in the dark and don't, don't allow their kids to be witness to that. I mean, they need to just park it, you know, when they're doing these events or having these situations and just realize that it's just not productive in any way. And it's, the things we're teaching children on how to resolve conflict are absurd. You know, mm-hmm. when, when adults cannot come together and work out solutions that, you know, are respectful and handled in an adult-like manner. I mean, we just teach children such poor conflict resolution. Yeah. And I don't know if you or your listeners have read, I mean, there's an amazing book out called The Step-Parents Handbook written by an author named Karen Bunnell. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is uh, one of my favorite resources and it's fairly new. Like it's just come out in probably the last year and a half or so, but it really helps people because I think so many people don't understand when they're getting married, you know, or getting um, partnered with a new person and there's children involved. They don't understand the dynamics on the other side. And Mm. so they're coming in kind of blindly thinking, oh, look, I'm a nice person. Like, here I am. I'm going to be this great bonus person for these children. Of Mm -hmm. course, I'll be welcomed or, you know, whatever. And it's like, until you can really understand some of the the pitfalls and the problems, you can't really start that step-parent journey, I think, on the right foot. Mm -hmm. Because so many times people are just stepping in dog doo-doo from the get-go. Sure. And, and I think the intentions are, are good in a lot oh, yeah. of, in a lot of areas where, I mean, I, I just posted recently, um, a, a, a picture of a unicorn and it's like the stepmom who's just starting out full of hope. And then there's like the next picture is this raggedy old horse. Who's like 
you know, a seasoned stepmom who now knows the truth behind everything. But I think we go in with like well intentions and stuff. And when I talk to stepmoms who are like, she doesn't like me, like there's all this, there's all this conflict, all this anger, all this whatever. And I'm thinking, girl, it's not about you. Like there's so much that happened before you. There was obviously the severance of a relationship that either happened years before you or is still fresh. And even though like me personally, my husband, they were never married, but they still had a child together and there was still this relationship. Could it put it in quotes here? Um, It was never healthy, Uh, but like, there's still all these feelings. And so what I try to explain is like, it's not about you and to not take things personally and whoever is going to be standing next to your partner is going to be a target because that person is still grieving the life that they thought that that they were going to have too. And so to allow that space and to allow people to, you know, navigate what's going on for them and you focus on your relationship and not so much parenting right? can, can at least, uh, you know, let the dust settle in some capacity and help. And just like your, your kids had to at their own pace and process navigate. I oh. feel like when a stepmom enters into the picture, everyone else needs to kind of like start to digest it. And, and that's how our bio mom situation happened where at first she was like, no, she's not real. She's not around. I, I reject this. And then it took about three years for her to actually be like, oh, I guess she's still here and she's not going anywhere. I I better kind of like start talking to her, making eye contact. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it is such a dicey dynamic. And I think people forget too. obviously whatever happened between the bio parents. I mean, you know, we weren't privy to it. I mean, let's be serious. You know, Mm -hmm. we were not there. And I mean, we can all, you know, listen to the stories of what their relationship was or wasn't. I mean, having been a divorce attorney for long enough now, I know it is not black and white. There's not a marriage on the planet where one person is 100% at fault and the other person is not. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you have to be able to hold the reality that you might love your new partner but your new partner might've caused harm to this other person. And that, and that that's a thing. And that, that there is genuine, you know, disgust or Mm -hmm. upset or anger, and it could be completely well-founded. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and being able to hold that and, and kind of not expecting that other person to be like all hunky dory and thrilled because you know they are getting over whatever has happened that we mm-hmm. were not privy to you know mm-hmm. and um and i think just really staying in your lane you know as a stepmom at least for me has been like such the best thing i could do was just to stay in my lane and realize that in my instance which is so different than yours they have a bio mom who is phenomenal like sure they don't need me to step in and like do all kinds of things. I mean, their mom is just like kick ass, you know, mm-hmm. she's got this like in spades. Yeah. And so they come to me and ask me things and I bring to them a completely different mindset than their bio mom has. Like we're completely different people. And to me, that's just a benefit for them. You know, they just are exposed to different things and they know good and well how much I respect their mom. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that goes a long way, you know, because it, it also allows their dad, their dad never has to choose. I mean, there is no, no choice. Like if his daughters are coming, like, let's say they're flying out here and whatever. I mean, I'm going to rearrange my schedule and make sure he has time with them. And, you know, like, I'm not going to be crawling all over it. You know, I'm going to mm-hmm. be very deferential to both their mom's time and his time, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and I think by staying in my lane, it has made it so much easier for all of us to navigate this. Mm-hmm. And I, I want just to point out here, staying in our lane is such a hot like yeah. tag for, especially just my platform in general, just because so many of my listeners and followers do not have that type of dynamic where right 
they're trying to stay in their lane. There's some stepmoms that are like, I want to stay in my lane. I, I want to, but then they see, you know, the, the dotted yellow lines and they're like, okay, I can kind of pass and I can kind of, you know, I can kind of do this or yeah. Or it's a one way. There is no lane. It's only, I'm the only one doing it because the other two parents aren't parenting. And you know, it, there's all that, all that sort of thing. I think they're again, going back to those intentions for me personally, I've had to try and create a lane for me oh, yeah. because yeah. there's sometimes where my husband's like, honey, just drive, just take over, just do it all. And I'm like, I need boundaries, man. Like I, I don't want to do, I want to be the bonus mom. He has an active mom. She may not be the best. She may not always have his best needs in, in mind, but you know, like, I, it, yeah. So I think, well, and it's tough too, I think with the other parent, I mean, like your husband or, you know, when people are, I know as a guardian ad litem, when I'm working with families where it's clear that the step parent dynamic is the source of the conflict and it is the source of, and I'm not saying the step parent themselves are necessarily doing anything wrong. Just the existence. just the, the dynamic yeah. is the, is the problem getting that bio parent who is, you know, the one with the new partner. And sometimes obviously it's both have new partners, but getting that bio parent to step up and actually do the parenting and sure. keeping that step parent out, even if it's just in a background way, like maybe the step parent really is doing a lot of the things but making sure those emails are coming from the parent's email account and they're not written in such a way that it is so obvious that it is the stepmom writing them. Mm -hmm. Like, I cannot tell you how many men I have sat with and I'm like, um, look at the email you sent me. That's all, you know, misspelled bad grammar. (laughs) And then you've got these emails that are going to your ex that are like perfect, beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'm like, clearly you didn't write that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, just receiving that from the mom, you've lost the battle. Whatever is in that email, you might as well have just told her she's effing, you know what? And I'm going to say, I would probably venture that 80% of those stepmoms who are writing the emails don't want to write the emails and that they are trying to twist their partner's arm. And because that is me, that is me where I get into full blown arguments with my husband where I'm like, you need to respond to her. You need to respond to her. And he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to do it. And then I'm like, fine, I'll just do it. So then I do it because that brings more peace into my home. And so it's so, that's such an interesting point because I think that, yeah, it does come down to the, the bio dad, the bio parent to step up and actually allow, you know, the stepmom to not be so involved, but it's, I mean, it's a real process of, you know, not enabling that bio yeah. parent to kind of abdicate the responsibility. Yep. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. um, but and, when there's so much animosity, they don't want to, they just want well, it to be I mean, over. They're conflict avoidant. Yeah. They're yes. trying to just duck and cover because yep. every time they're, you know, engaging, it often becomes a war. Yep. So it's like, oh gosh, I don't really want to do that, yep. you know, yep. but um, I mean, it, it, I cannot tell you how much the step parent dynamic plays into family law. And I mean, there's more cases. I mean, I'm involved in cases right now where I'm like, they've just spent, you know, 50, 60, $70,000 in legal fees. And literally if they would learn to do this in a way that is getting the step parent out of it, they probably wouldn't have been in the battle they're in, but they've been doing it all haywire for so long. It's just, they get in these patterns of behavior. Do you feel that it, that it just puts fuel on the fire in regards to how the bio mom responds or? Um, you mean by having the litigation? Yeah. Like if the step parent is involved and you know you're saying if they weren't as involved do you think that it's because of how the other person the other side of it is receiving their involvement yeah okay i think it's a huge part of it interesting Um, yeah i think it's a very huge part of it and um and i have to say i mean this is and it's you know it's hard for people to hear and i mean i get this as a step parent myself like when a when something is happening with a child and there's a real struggle even some of the most dysfunctional parents, 
can come together over an issue regarding their child and they can come to resolution if they have the proper tools in their tool belt. You know, if mm -hmm. they can communicate in a way and find that common ground around their care and love of their child. I mean, because I do a lot of work in dependency as well. So in cases where mm. children are taken out of their home for abuse and neglect. So, I mean, you know, very dysfunctional kind of parents. And it is amazing what people can learn if you teach them about how to have those truly meaningful, you know, once a year kind of conversations, maybe something big has happened, a big medical thing, an accident, something where they can come together and make decisions. And literally then they're building those muscles and skills. Mm -hmm. And you see it then the next time. And they're like, oh yeah, we were able to do this before. And then they're able to, and that allows that step parent to be like, oh, when it actually matters, they've got this. Sure. Like I can get out of some mm -hmm. of them, you know? Mm -hmm. And maybe one parent or the other is not gonna be as great as we want, but okay, they weren't gonna be as great as we want if we weren't in the picture at all in the first place. Sure, you know? yeah. So, mm -hmm. okay, yeah. they decided to have this. And because um, I just, the thing I hate so much seeing is the amount of conflict that gets brought into court that it's like if, if I feel like so many times if I could sit down with the entire family unit for like three hours, we could work through so much of this, you know, mm -hmm. by just putting in boundaries, putting in like rules of the road, putting in communication guidelines, like some mm -hmm. of that is really important. I mean, so let's talk about that. I, because <laughs> you're just hitting on like all the things that it's like, I mean, one of the questions I had for you were I'm, I get questions all the time or just advice about, you know, people that are about to start mediation or start the court process or, you know, you know, what needs to be on the parenting plan. So, I mean, let's, let's start first question, tips for preparing for mediation and court. Um, and this is again, coming from the, the stepmom and, you know, bio parent perspective. Right. I mean, one phenomenal communication with your attorney, like make sure you understand what the goals are, like what, make sure you have enunciated to your attorney what you want. Like there's going to be a few, hopefully just a few, I mean, maybe two, maybe three, literal line in the sand that is, I mean, no negotiation around. They are bottom line things you are not moving off of but you can't have that many of those to actually successfully go into mediation. And depending on the level of conflict, you wanna make sure your attorney understands where the conflict is coming from. So if it's transitions, like let's say it's that, you know, you're bringing each other to each other's homes and you're face-to-face -face dealing with things, you need to figure out how not to do those, like how to get transitions out of the mix. If it's things around schooling, you know, like parents have wildly different ideas of, you know, one parent's like the freaking homework tiger. They're over it all the time. The kid is always doing all their homework. And then the other parents like, yeah, we're kind of unschooling types. Like, you know, we don't really care about homework. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got to figure that out. You know, you've got to get to some kind of common ground. I mean, I don't know how much you and your listeners know about a parenting coordinator. Like that is something that very often can come in and help when you're dealing with some of these intractable conflicts. But understanding at mediation what those are is going to be key and making sure your attorney is creative. Like you can't hire an attorney that's a every other weekend and Wednesday night dinner, if you've got mm. high conflict, like mm -mm. that's just not going to work. No, when the kid <laughs> is signed up for soccer and soccer is on Wednesday nights. All of a sudden your kid is, you know, the, the shit on the team now because he's never at practice because right. one parents decided like, eh, I'm not really a fan of soccer. And so I'm not taking them mm -hmm. or whatever. And that was so exactly my husband's experience. Yeah. yeah. When he I'm, was growing up, his mom didn't give a crap about soccer, but his dad and his stepmom brought him to everything and right. he had to quit the team because he was so inconsistent. Exactly. Yeah. And how bad for the child is that? Like, what are we teaching that child yeah. who can't be a good team member, 
who feels shame because they're not, I mean, it's all bad. Yeah. Like, you know, in a good, healthy environment, those parents would be like, oh, this is a great activity for our child. So we're going to make sure it happens mm -hmm. together. You know, like I'm going to bring them and then I'm going to go drop them at the dinner, you know, with that parent. And we're going to adjust the time because of the schedule, you know, but I mean, a lot of times you just don't have that type of flexibility because you've got one parent who acts like an ass, excuse mm -hmm. my French, but no. <laughs> it's, I mean, yeah. and so making sure your attorney is well-versed in the creative ways of writing a parenting plan for a high conflict family. And I mean, reality is, and I'm just going to be so bold as to say this, if you as a step-parent are involved in your current partner's mediation, you're in a high conflict situation because there's a new person before the divorce is finalized. And I mean, by everything we know, you're in a high conflict situation if that's occurring. Um, I mean, as far as I know, mediation can happen at any time when the parenting plan is getting finalized um, or even yeah, after the fact. Yeah, yeah. Cause like, I mean, for example, right now, um, you know, I'm speaking with a stepmom who they are moving and the parenting plan needs to be changed. Now there's disagreements on what's going to be changed. And so they're having to go to mediation um, and the divorce has been final for a long time. Yeah. And that's, so, okay. that would be what we okay. call post-dissolution relocation. And okay. so that, you know, is a totally different issue. Okay. And that is a really hard issue as you can only imagine. Yeah. If you are the step-parent who would be moving with these children and the bio parent is being left and not going to get to see their child. Those are some of the most high conflict cases in mm. family law because there is no way to split the baby. Right. You know, like it's literally, yeah. and those are very, very difficult. And they actually have a really low success rate in mediation because of the fact there's very little negotiation mm -hmm. that you know can happen. I mean, sometimes you can do things where a parent might have way more time in the summer to make up for you know the time not given during the regular part of the year. Or if there's a lot of resources, you know, a parent can fly out. And I mean, interestingly, when I first divorced, and so I came out to Seattle, my ex lived in Minnesota. So mm -hmm. I was out here in Seattle with all the kids, my new husband, and he would fly out to Seattle and we had a house in Seattle and then we had a house north of here. So we would go stay at our other house and he would come stay in our home in Seattle and be with the kids in their homes so oh, that, wow. you know, he could like do all the things, take them mm -hmm. to school, take them to lacrosse and football and meet their friends. And you know what I mean? Like, wow. cause I could fly them to Minnesota all I wanted, but that was such an artificial kind of parenting time. It was all just kind of like fun, you know, visiting. I mean? Yeah. Visiting. And so, and he didn't even have a house really big enough for them. So it made so much more sense when we got our house here that there was a room there that he could use and they, mm -hmm. you know, he could. Wow. In. What a yeah. dynamic. That That's rare. I'm just going to say. <laughs> That's, that's awesome though. And I'm sure that that felt so good for your kids, like to still be in their environment, totally to see that, that, you know, that that's, you know, um, an option for their, their parents to still kind of have that relationship. That's great. Well, and not have to be in a hotel. I mean, you know, yeah. but a lot of that, I think, I mean, it's unfortunate, but I mean, you know, doing the work that I do, I'm able to see so much of so the many. negative. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Of what, how it doesn't work. And I mean, I can't tell you how many court reports I've written and how many times I have testified in trial and I've said to the judge, these children are suffering more than you can know because of the conflict they are living in. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I have watched children try to commit suicide. I have watched mm -hmm. children just go through some of the most heinous things because of the conflict they find themselves in the middle of in these situations. And oftentimes the adults can't get over themselves yeah. enough to understand their part in the damage to the child. Mm -hmm. And it's heartbreaking. I yeah. mean, really heartbreaking actually. Mm -hmm. And um, 
So on the, on the topic of being extreme high conflict, um, what are your thoughts about the push to be co-parents and the idea and the theology of parallel parenting? Well, I mean, I think of parallel parenting as a form of co-parenting, but obviously I don't think super high conflict people can actually co-parent in any kind of real way. I mean, I think that parallel parenting makes much more sense in a high conflict situation, assuming each parent is at least somewhat healthy in their own home, you know, and there aren't big sure. safety issues. But um, even in those situations, though, I mean, you still have, I think, often the problem of decision making, because in even if you're parallel parenting kind of going on pretty good, you know, things are fine in each home, when something big has to be decided, if you oh, really yeah. are in a high conflict situation, having joint decision making can just be a total disaster. Yeah. And yeah. the child, again, suffers because children often need quick, swift decisions. They don't need these protract, protracted, you know, we can't decide. We've gone back and forth for three weeks. Now we're hiring a mediator, you know, right. we're going to court because we don't, you know, I mean, and you see kids just, it's like this kid just needed a counselor. Like, can we just get ourselves like, yes, yes. <laughs> my, yeah, that's it. Um, we, we dealt with that for years that, you know, we're trying to get my stepson into counseling. We're trying to get my stepson into occupational therapy or um, he needs social skills and like all this stuff. And given what I do, I'm a licensed mental health, you know, and I'm like, I'm seeing that he can benefit from these resources, but because it's coming from me, the stepmom, you know, by a mom knows better. And she doesn't think that it's necessary or she doesn't even think that he has a problem or she doesn't think that, you know, whatever. And it's like, it's been a constant thing. We parallel parent, but what these decisions, we have to have her on board, you know, to make these medical decisions and she refuses. And it's just like, okay. Those, I mean, that is where in my mind, a parenting coordinator is critical because if you had a parenting coordinator, they get to see your reasoning on, you know, bio dad side, they get to see bio mom's mm -hmm. reasoning. And then they make a decision. They are the decision maker. They mm. take it out of the hands of the family that cannot do this and they decide. And then the family can always appeal, usually either through arbitration or through a court. I mean, in most states, courts cannot abdicate anything, you know, that ultimately is the best interest of the child. So there is a review process available, but I mean, most people are not going to go that route. I mean, if they've got a professional on board and the professional is saying, yeah, this kid needs a counselor, even if it's, I don't know if this kid needs a counselor, but why not? Let's why send not? this kid sure. to a counselor for, I mean, even agree for three months, we're going to try it. Then we're going to reevaluate it and see if the kid is mm -hmm. freaking out about going to a counselor right. or is it a fun time? And they're, you know, playing board Are games. Are they benefiting it? Nice yeah. adult. <laughs> right. Right. Getting lollipops and it's all pretty okay. Yeah. I'm, is is the coordinator assigned through the family courts or how, how it does it can be, it can be assigned through your case, but people can also just, you know, get a parenting coordinator. You would then get an agreed order with the parenting coordinator because you want your coordinator to have court authority because, you know, they need to have some teeth to what they're doing right, so sure. that, you know, you can, they can write reports to the court if need be and let them know what's going on. But I mean, there's also co-parent, you know, coaching, like let's say somebody is not involved in court and they don't have that piece. I mean, you can go and sit down like with the person I mentioned, Karen Bennell, who wrote the step family handbook and the co-parenting handbook. She wrote both of those resources. She does co-parent coaching here in the Seattle area. And I mean, I have sent some of the most high conflict people and she is literally such a ninja. Like mm -hmm. she is able to, by the time they leave, I mean, they might've came in with like 10 things that they were just ready to kill each other on. And uh -huh. we might get three that they now have an agreement on where they- That's huge. 
That's huge. <laughs> I mean, you know, that can be like that can be life huge. changing. And I feel like that, that can trickle down to more understanding and more respect for one another. Right. Like once you get past a couple of them, it's like, all right, now, right. you know, yeah. And it huge. can make all the difference. And I mean, just the more that can be done to focus all the adults on the child, the child, the child, and mm -hmm. not on each other. And, mm -hmm. you know, where everything anybody is doing is child focused, child focused, child focused. Um, you're going to find that it just goes better. Yeah. You know, because, yep. um, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's, it, it, it's just, yeah, it gets frustrating when, um, when you feel like you're the one that's the only one, not me as like stepmom, but like your side is like the, the, in our situation, like the bio mom just can't get through to that and the decisions that they make just so clearly are for their own personal you know interest and it's like that gridlock is so hard to break down yeah well, so i mean if you're able to keep that away from your stepson i mean that's just like yeah. goes on you all yeah because you know it's like no matter how much gridlock you all have if your stepson isn't feeling it, seeing it, hearing it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. He thinks we're best friends. He's, right. he's like, we're able to stand in front of each other during a transition. And then, you know, everything is behind a keyboard. So right. all that, all that, which is obviously better for him. But so I wanted to ask, um, about what your experience has been like during a pandemic um <laughs> and custody issues because that's another tons of questions oh. that I get about what do we do when you know bio mom isn't abiding by you know the stay-at-home order or what if she's keeping the kids because whatever you know like there's just so many different things what has been your experience in the past almost a year <laughs> yeah the pandemic has been really interesting for this I mean, one of the things obviously is just the shutting down of the courts initially. So yeah. people couldn't get things resolved in the way that kind of their parenting plans are set up. And so the first thing we noticed was, I mean, we were getting people into mediation left and right, you know, on issues because we did not have the court available. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so then that was happening. And then when all the real tight stay-at-home orders were coming down and people were being locked down, you know, obviously so many of these people don't agree on, you know, these things at all. And trying to figure out, you know, how can we put in place, I know for our firm, you know, like, let's all just look to whatever the government guidelines say, you know, what does the CDC say? What does the governor of Washington say? You know, mm -hmm. and these are the things we are going to agree on, you know, that are set forth in our government, unless you can agree otherwise, you know, if you all can agree otherwise, more power to you. And like, you know, we would encourage that. But if you can't, it's like, this is what we're going to agree on, because clearly, what is the court going to do? I mean, is the court really going to come in and say, you know, you have to do this that violates the CDC? No, they're not. Like, they're right. not going to do that. And so really trying to get our clients in the mindset of, unless you can come up with an agreement on your own with this other person, you're going to have to wrap your head around whatever the government is telling us is happening. That is what is happening. And so if you don't like it, then figure out how to negotiate, you know, figure out a way to get what you want. Maybe you're giving up something else, you know, maybe there's something else you can do to get that other person to see it your way. But I mean, if you're going to dig your heels in, all you're going to be doing is paying us to go to court and have the judge tell you, we're going to follow whatever the government says. And right, right. I mean, I tell people all the time, I'm like, do you want to keep paying for my kids to go to private school or do you want to keep for your own? <laughs> like stop fighting over nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, like figure it out and put yourself in the judge's situation. I mean, they're in the same situation we're in, in this pandemic. They right. don't know. They they're don't not know. doctors. We all are looking to the medical professionals nationally to tell us what the deal is. And obviously you and I could sit here and discuss the chaos yeah. of our right. national situation. Right. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make it easy for judges. Yeah. Yeah. So a question that I have, um, and the way that like we've been navigating this is 
I mean, in the beginning, especially, you know, back in March, back in April, you know, Inslee's like, we're going to shut this all down. Um, and we were still so uncertain about, I mean, we still are very uncertain, but um, about like, you know, the quarantining and like if someone gets sick and stuff. And so we have 50-50 one week on, one week off. And at that point, it was like, look, if one of us gets sick, we want to at least have enough time where we can be together and have that, you know, like quarantine time. And so she agreed, okay, we're going to go every other or every two weeks. Two so weeks we, right. we went two weeks on two weeks off for, I'd say about the first two months. Um, and then uh, I think she didn't want to do two weeks with him anymore. And so she was like, nah, we need to go back to one week on, you know, just right. so, but the way that, you know, it was in, it was written, we got it in writing. Um, and other than that, like, we've just tried to like stick to our parenting plan and, yep. and, and, and we communicate like in writing that like, this is what we expect. This is what we're doing to stay safe. This is what will happen if one of us gets sick. This is what, you know, and so it's all written down. Right. Um, and and that's just kind of like, that's just what we've been going on. Like if we're sticking to the parenting plan and any changes to the parenting plan is in writing, we're kind of covering our bases with that. Totally. That's all you can do really. Yeah. And then if you ever found yourself in court or needing to go to court, I mean, you have that kind of evidence where it's like, this is what we're doing. This is our parenting plan. Here's all the communication. Right. So know. in the, so in the situations where, you know, the bio mom is like, I I'm keeping them longer. Um, you know, what, what can they do? Can they, you know, have this in writing where then once all this ends, they can go to court and say, she had them six months out of the year when she shouldn't have. And now we need to make up that time. You can, I have to say though, the courts have been pretty vocal in telling us attorneys, like, don't, think you're going to bring all these things back in like at the holidays. I mean, we actually mm -hmm. got a letter from, you know, one of the head judges in King County and was like, Christmas is no surprise. We all know when it is. So if you haven't worked it out too bad, like do not bring a bunch of motions. None of them will be heard. Mm. And so, I mean, people were really stuck with, you know, having all kinds of issues around Christmas and our hands were tied because the court was just like, this should have been dealt with four months yeah. ago. You're you going to have to be adults and figure this out on your own. <laughs> Pretty much exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to be a referee. Well, I mean, the, the court is just topsy-turvy. Do you know what I mean? Trials have been bumped like none other. I mean, mm -hmm. we'll call to get a hearing. I mean, the other day we called to get a hearing and we got it in April. I was oh like, gosh. well, that's not all that helpful. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. And so, you know, then it's like, okay, what are the alternative dispute resolutions we can take advantage of to get this heard sooner? I mean, you know, we've been going into arbitrations, mediations. I mean, been bringing in parenting coordinators that, you know, have not been appointed, but that can help navigate some of these issues because, you know, the more you let all this fester too, the worse. It mm -hmm. is. I mean, so is that kind of your guidance for people who are still dealing with like the custody stuff and like right now, like to not necessarily plan to take it to court, but get people involved right now? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if there is, if you have stuff that is happening kind of consistently that's violating the parenting plan, that in a normal course of action would be like a contempt of the parenting mm -hmm. plan. Um, I mean, I think it makes sense to talk to an attorney because you're going to want to find out is whatever your contempt is, is it really the kind of contempt that the court is going to do anything about? Or is it just, it's really, it's a provision that really isn't enforceable, you know, because okay. there's a lot of those in parenting plans where, I mean, we, there's all kinds of language in that other section of the Washington parenting plan that the court doesn't enforce any of it. It's mm -hmm. all just, you know, it's like, um, I can't think of the word right now, but it's like, you know, it's like our ideal view of what we want things to be. But when it comes down to actual enforcement, right. it's not going to happen. 
And so if you can get into an attorney though, and especially an attorney who thinks somewhat creatively and is not just, a, they're either court or no court, you know, somebody who will use alternative dispute resolution, you can find ways to, you know, solve some of these things and get in and get resolution so that, you know, you all can be on a better path rather than just sitting around kind of waiting, like, okay, one day this will be over and then we're hitting you with, you know, this right. big old contempt motion, which, I mean, my guess is most of those, I mean, the judges don't want to hear that. I mean, they're going to be like, uh, no, like we've all just gone through, you know, a year, two years of right. this whatever, like, like get over it. We've all got a backlog of stuff to do. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to bring by a mom to court because she, you know, cut his hair, like the parenting plan said she shouldn't have, you know, like what she's done and it's in the parenting plan, but obviously, you know, it's not. Yeah. yeah. yeah one of those pick your battles. Kind yep. of. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, um, the, the people, cause I, again, I get messages from, from, um, stepmoms whose partners, they don't even have parenting plans, custody orders. They're just like going about it. And I'm just like, Oh my God, what? Like, yeah, go do that now. <laughs> oh, I mean that absolutely. I mean, cause that has real implications. I mean, from an attorney, like you hear that and I just want to cringe because the reality is I mean, any one of those parents can just pick up and drive themselves to, you know, Massachusetts and relocate. And you've got nothing to protect that from occurring. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it is pricey to get involved in that where you're literally looking at like, you know, across jurisdictional, bringing somebody back. I mean, you need a parenting plan. Yeah. You know, there needs to be something in you place. You have your rights covers. documented. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so many men often who don't have that. And then all of a sudden mom, you know, she meets some guy on, I don't know what, like, and she's like, I'm moving Wait. to upstate New York now. And it's yep. like, what? No. Yep. yep. And that actually is a good point. I wanted to ask you this too. Um, do you, in your experience, do you find, cause I, I feel like there's this thought that, you know, the bio moms get preference and that a lot of judges just, you know, mom gets her way. Do you, in your experience, feel like that's the case? Um, I think it is um, very specific in different counties. I have to say mm -hmm. like in King County, I would say no. I think King County is very progressive. I think they look at dads and moms and they really look at the facts about, you know, who's been doing the primary parenting, like what has it looked like historically. But also I think they look to the things like they should look to or what are the future capacity of parenting? Like, so is this parent, even if maybe they haven't been the primary parent, do they have capacity to be the parent? And were they under some arrangement that was an agreed to thing? Like maybe dad was out earning all the money, mom was at home taking care of the kids. Was that an agreed to thing? And that was fine. Now they're splitting. Now both of them need to work. Both of them need to parent. And if mm -hmm. the court finds that they're both capable of that, the court in King County, at least, is going to look to giving more of an equal schedule, I find, you know, assuming all things being equal, like mental health wise, substance abuse, you know, DV, like there's not those kind of other things. But in other counties, like in the smaller counties and in Snohomish, I think there is more of an inclination in those more traditional models of, you know, mom kind of being the primary parent. And I think mm -hmm. dads have a bit of a harder time, you know, being able to um, come into court and get the equal time needed. Mm -hmm. Again, I mean, this comes into play a lot in when you're hiring an attorney, like if a dad in particular, let's say he hasn't had primary time, like he's been the breadwinner. I mean, I recently had a doctor who contacted me and was like, you know, all this is going down. I need to get a divorce, but I do not want to not have my children. And so, I mean, we negotiated a temporary parenting plan on a 50-50 thing. And we managed to hold that for a whole year. And it was strategic because obviously then they lost any advantage of mm -hmm. she's the primary parent. You right. know? You've and, been able to sustain this for a yeah. year. What's the and, problem? Right. Yeah. We got it. Like he could fix his schedule and he could do the things. And I mean, we've had several cases like that where we, 
you know, like that is our whole goal is to get, you know, enough time in place and enough status quo under our belt where, you know, it's, it's good. And it's obviously what's good for the children. I mean, mm -hmm. if, you know, again, assuming, you know, both parents are healthy, I don't mean to say that if there's major substance abuse or DV or something that that mm -hmm. would not be different. But if you've got a healthy dad and a healthy mom, that children deserves to have good time with both parents. Like that's mm -hmm. what's going to help that child thrive. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's unfortunate when it feels like the dads have to jump through so many more hoops oh. than the mom. Completely. Yeah. Where it's just, you know, we like to call that the golden uterus where right. it came out of you. So everything's just a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> it's really, I mean, I think a lot of the social science will shows us that, I mean, how important dads are to children, obviously forever, but I mean, that zero to nine, mom definitely is more of the primary attachment figure and that relationship is primary, assuming it to be healthy, but nine to 18, it's all dad. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is when dad's relationship becomes primary and dad's influence becomes very important in a child's development. Mm -hmm. And when we cut off dad in those beginning years and because of mom, we're further damaging the child because we're, we now have them on shaky ground in that second half. And it is the worst thing we can do because I mean, we need the dads to be learning and being attached. I mean, that's the thing we need where that child looks to the dad as an attachment figure where mm -hmm. they're hurt, they're scared, they need something. They think of their dad like they think of their mom, you know, mm -hmm. different, but you know what I mean? Yeah. As another primary attachment figure so that when they do get into that second half, that's a solid relationship because dad's influence, I mean, becomes very important at mm -hmm. that point. And yeah. moms really do, I mean, they lose a lot of their influence, you know, mm -hmm. and that's all part of the developmental individuation of adolescence and it's normal and it's good. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's all the things. Yeah. But when the courts have come in and kind of twisted that, you know, by being like, oh yeah, well, mom, you're the primary caretaker. So dad's going to just see this kid every other weekend on Wednesdays. It's like, you've now charted a path for this child's life. Yep. that you did not mean to do. Yep. Yeah. I'm just over here applauding right now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think um, that that definitely needs to be considered more. And I don't think that a lot of courts do that, at least in my experience and hearing and hearing other people's experiences. Yeah. I mean, so much of it though, I think is one, attorneys are, don't always educate themselves on child development in all the, the social science research that is sure. out there. A lot of times families who are in more high conflict situations who end up with somebody like me, like a guardian ad litem or a parenting evaluator, they're going to have more of a microscope on those issues because those of us that work in this arena, like obviously being educated on all of that is kind of critical, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's almost like it's bad when you have to have us because that means you're kind of in a worse situation. But if utilized properly, I mean, it can really benefit your family. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be able to bring to bear resources to your family, like bring to bear, you know, problems that and I- Confirmation. See. Exactly. Yeah, that's huge. And, um, and that helps then the court because the court then gets educated too. Because, you know, a lot of times you end up with court judges, they might be new to the rotation. They might have never touched a family law case in their life. Mm. And there they are sitting on the bench their first day. And you're like, all right, let's start at the beginning. Here's where the statutes mm. are for family law. Like, right. And then they just want to be like, better with the mom. Just better right. with the mom. And no, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just not, I mean, you've really got to look into it. And yeah. I mean, there's temperamental issues you know, some children are temperamentally more aligned with a parent than the other. Mm -hmm. And I mean, all kinds of things. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all good things. Um, before we wrap up, I wanted to just ask you the one bit of nugget, one bit of overall advice for stepmoms, um, not just like going into the legal side of things, but just in your experience as a stepmom, you know, what would be your, your nugget of wisdom? 
I mean, one would be to read the step family handbook. Okay. I will, I will put that in the notes of this episode so you can find that there. Cool. I would say definitely read the step family handbook. The more you, cause there's not a lot of literature out there mm -hmm. on this. Mm -hmm. The more people can understand the actual dynamics of what is at play, the more you're going to be able to navigate it successfully. Mm -hmm. So many people have their own story in their mind about what's going on. And their stories are all based on their story rather than on the reality. And you know how we are. Sure. We all have our little mean girl in our head, <laughs> whatever, you know, that's just like talking at us and really digging and understanding step family dynamics makes it so much easier to navigate because you'll be like, aha, I see this. This is what this chapter was talking about. I get it now. Mm -hmm this is my best course of action in light of that. Right. I, th I think the more that we, yes, like you said, the more that we can educate ourselves on the experience that we are in, not only do we feel like less alone, but okay. we're also normalizing it and that, oh my gosh, I thought that I was the only one that was doing this, but really it's straight up psychology. It it's is. the Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, if, if you see it in black and white, you know, you're like, oh, okay like this, I feel like I can navigate this with a different, with a different mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I, I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I spend so much time having to flip my mindset and, you know, like if I find something coming in and, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, Elise, is that true? You know, like actually eavesdrop right. on my thoughts. Questioning yourself. Like, yeah. Yeah. And be like, yeah. is this actually real? Or is this just some little story that, you know, mean Susie made up? Right. in your head that you don't even know right. where it came from it's probably your analytical mind being an attorney though too just gonna <laughs> throw that out there <laughs> that's a good thing <laughs> um well elise thank you so much for joining um i honestly feel like i could talk to you forever so i'm probably gonna invite you on again because <laughs> you know the pandemic isn't ending ending anytime soon yeah. i'm sure listeners will have more questions once they listen to this so um you are definitely welcome back on thank um, you so much. It was so nice to be here. Thank you so much. Um, all right, everyone. The book that we spoke about will be in the notes of this episode. Um, Elise, do you, um, one, how can people reach you? Do you have a website that people can oh, get directed sure. to? I mean, just EliseBowieFamilyLaw.com and Bowie is B-U-I-E. And I mean, we're a virtual firm, so, you know, it doesn't really matter where we all are. Obviously, you know, we can, um, help people. And I'm happy to do consults with people and listen to whatever their specific situation is and help give them some guidance, some resources about how they can kind of get themselves in a better spot for sure. Awesome. All right. So I will also put her website in the notes of this episode. All right. Thank you again, everyone. Be well and stay radical. All right, ladies, the episode is over, but do you want a little more? Come find me on Instagram and join the community at Radical Stepmoms Podcast or schedule a one-on-one -on -one session and get that personalized support or become a Radical member and gain access to exclusive content like bonus episodes and merch. Radical Stepmoms is so much bigger than a podcast. Check out the details and the notes on this episode.